listening to First Church Charlotte. Hallelujah, hallelujah. God bless you. You may be seated. Let me quickly begin by giving you a little insight into the point of taking up an offering that is called Heart for the House. I have been... uh, convicted by some of my spiritual mentors in my life that I am I am not uh, giving people an opportunity to connect the blessing in their life directly with uh, the whys, the, the reasons behind everything that our church is trying to do. And so I am endeavoring to do an annual offering that will be in the fall every year, uh, simply entitled Heart for the House. Uh, where I give you an opportunity to be directly connected uh, to the needs, the direct ministry opportunities of the church. I normally, as a leader, as a pastor, I simply organize a church budget, and we work out of that budget. We plan our salaries. We plan our our facility improvements. We plan everything out of that budget. Um, I do not continually bring uh, needs before you and I I'm fine with that for the most part but I do think at least once a year we should make an uh, organized intentional effort to do that I grew up in a church that did not have enough money to simply allow uh, us to plan a budget we had when we built this building it didn't look like this but version one of this building we moved in we moved into this building we had to take up a month a monthly offering to make the the note on the building and I have vivid memories of being a teenager and I, I was part of the band back then I'd be sitting over here on the drums and and my dad would get it uh, in the pulpit and he would say well it's that time of the month again we've got to make our our, our note on the building and um, we need to raise about thirty five hundred dollars and who can give he would always start with $250 unless anybody was like really blessed and then he'd start with 500 and uh, <laughs> start with $250 how many can give $250 and the first one would come back here and the second one would come over here and I, I remember being a kid thinking to myself man those people are so rich they're giving $250 to the church that was that was back when you could rent an apartment for about $400 $350 $400 nowadays good luck with that um, if you you rent an apartment for $300 nowadays, you might need to wear a flak jacket in the neighborhood. Uh, that's, that's a very good deal. Uh, I, I have memories of that, and we don't do that as our church. We do have a monthly note that we have to pay on that building. We owe about uh, $800,000 on that building next door. That has been a building that was uh, directly built for our ministry. Uh, we thought when we were planning it, that we were building it for fellowship, but really it is a ministry building. It is used for ministry. It is the home of, of course, First Kids. It is the home of our student ministry, and it is the home of Prosper University, not to mention all of our uh, our office space and classroom space. We have turned that into a ministry building, and I have often called it the Life Center, but honestly, <laughs> it's the ministry center over there, and it is it has served us well 
Um, I pray that a day comes when we're able to pay that debt off because just the interest we pay every month would allow us to hire at least one, maybe two full-time people uh, to service this community and to minister to the needs of this congregation. And so I am wanting to intentionally set goals like that and make statements of faith so I can see God begin to answer the specific faith statements and prayer requests of his people. And so this offering will be uh, part of that. Now, I do want you to understand this. None of this offering will go towards making payroll for our staff. None of this annual offering that we do will go to any of our leaders. It will not go to me. It will not be used for anything other than the direct building needs and the direct ministry opportunities and related uh, costs of our church. None of the monies you would give to a uh, Heart for the House offering would be used in any way for our staff. Uh, that would all be orchestrated out of our regular budget. Um, I am wanting all of you to see how God looks for people that he can bless and then that person who is blessed opens their heart and blesses the work and the work blesses the people and the people bless the work god has so constructed his kingdom that the only way the church can prosper is when the people prosper uh, this is not a system whereby uh, the Lord the Lord prefers himself, but he has ordained through the systems that the church has that are built upon biblical uh, themes and biblical principles. Out of these things comes any blessing that the church has. And so as a pastor, because my salary is made up out of the tithe of the church, and of course it's nowhere near all of the tithe, it is, it's set. Uh, our church isn't uh, at the level where the weekly ups and downs of the church would affect my, my income or even our staff. Um, even so, I pray for you to be blessed because the blessing that the church receives comes first through you. I want you to see this in the life of King David, and I want to, I want to show you something uh, in the scripture. The story is of King David, and it is chapter 7, verse number 1, 2 Samuel. Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house. Now think about this for a moment. Uh, when the king is dwelling in his house... David had not spent a lot of time in a house. He grew up as a shepherd. That meant he spent most nights on the hillside. He spent most nights watching sheep. Now, perhaps not every night, that was the whole point of having a sheepfold where you could, you could sometimes place sheep in the sheepfold and then you could go uh, make a short trip or go to a home. But the sheep had to be moved consistently to green pastures of grazing. They would quickly eat all of the grass at any one location. So most nights, a shepherd is spending on a hillside under the stars. David spent his early years as a shepherd, and he lived on hillsides. Um, as a young uh, man, a young rising leader of Israel, 
Uh, he spent most of that time running for his life after King Saul decided to see him as an enemy. David spent years living rough. He spent years living in caves. He spent years uh, on the march. And then as a young king, he spent years on campaign, uh, war campaign. And with his troops, he slept in uh, bivouacs wherever the army happened to be. He was not a man who had spent a lot of time in a house. Think about this. Most of his life, he had lived out among the elements. Most of his life, he had made do in caves. As a young man, he spent times on the hillside taking care of his sheep. As a young leader, he spent times, time in the caves like the cave of Abdullam taking care of his men. God sent to him all of the dispossessed, the refugee, the men without country, the fugitives. They all came to David as broken, imperfect men, and David forged them into an army. This becomes a teaching ex example of what God does with all of us. He takes us as broken people, and then he puts us in his army. Yeah. Do I have anybody in the army of the Lord here today? You see this in the life of David, and he uh, has spent time there. And then as a young king, he spends time sleeping with, with soldiers on uh, campgrounds and battlefields and bivouacs. And, and this has been his life. But now, somebody say now. Nah. Now he's blessed. Now he's moved on up to the east side. Now he has finally got a piece of the pie. Somebody say, my God. Amen. You know that's what you really want is a piece of the pie. And he is happy about getting a piece of the pie. And he is celebrating the goodness of God. And he, as an act, an official act, he builds a house that is a palace. And the interesting thing about king's houses is they're not just places to live. They are symbolic places to live. That is important in building a sense of, of community among a nation, a monarchy. And so a king will not just need a place to sleep. He needs a first house. He needs, he needs that symbolic seat of government. And so David has done that. David has built for himself uh, a house. He never needed a house like that. He spent most of his life living rough. He, he doesn't need a house like this. But now, as a place for him to live, he has built it. As a symbolic seat of government, he has built it. As an example of the first house of the kingdom, he has built it. And he finds himself living in a house with walls of cedar, and cedar smells so good. It's so fragrant. And it's not an easy wood for them to build with. Why? It doesn't grow where they are. It grows uh, many miles north in the mountains of Lebanon. That's where the cedars grow. And so in order to get it, it's not the cost of the wood. It's the cost of getting the wood and the shipping is out of control and he has brought this wood and they have built this beautiful house and he's walking through the house and he looks around and he begins to consider just how good God has been to him oh, yes. yeah. Hallelujah. if you don't have a consistent function of your life in your life a daily function a daily habit a daily spiritual uh, discipline where you consider how good God has been to you I'm telling you you will never feel spiritually rich without setting aside time to see how good God has been to you. Thank you, Lord. I just want to say thank you, Lord. You've been so good. Yes, sir. 
You've been so good. I just want to say thank you, Lord. You need to consider how God has kept you. You need to consider where God has brought you from. You need to consider that you once were without hope, but now you are the very testimony and witness of hope. Where's my hope people in the house? You need to consider that you once had no future, but now you have an eternal future. You need to consider once that you were a spiritual orphan, but now by the grace of God, you have been adopted into the family of God. You are no longer your own. You've been bought by a price. I just want to say thank you, Lord. David's walking through his life and he's like, man, I am, God has been so good to me. I can't begin to tell you how God, good God has been to me. I, I don't even know how to put it into words. And, and uh, he, he considers, you know, I don't have battles to fight. I, uh, the Bible says that the Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies. And here he is, he's living so well. And uh, he decides to talk to the prophet about it. And so King David's uh, uh, the man of, of God and his life is prophet Nathan and he is uh, spending some time with prophet Nathan and he says this to him see now and this is of course verse number two of chapter seven second uh, Samuel all of these notes are available on the church website just click sermon notes and you will have the notes I'm preaching from and you will be able to save them and remember them hopefully uh, probably be the only way you remember them if you email them to yourself because otherwise we're all going to forget them don't ask me what I preached last week. Uh, He says, look, prophet, look, I dwell in a house of cedar. God has been so good to me. God has blessed me so abundantly. But the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. And this is what the prophet says to the king. Go and do all that is in your heart for the Lord is with you. I, I want you to, I want you to see this moment. The response of God to your thankfulness is for you to consider what is in your heart. This is a divine invitation. This is God looking at your heart and saying, all right, what is in your heart? I want to remind you all of this, and you, of course, know this, but you need to be reminded. The actions of your life define what is going on in your heart. That's one of the reasons why the Bible actually uses giving as a sign of our heart, a giving as a sign of where our treasure is. Our actions define our define our heart and our heart defines our actions. There is no way to have a heart that is separated from your actions because your actions are your heart manifest to the world. And so that night after they had talked together and spent some time together, uh, Nathan goes back to um, the house of the Lord where he would dwell and David uh, is in this house of cedar and the Lord speaks to the prophet and says, go tell my servant David, thus says the Lord. Uh, Would you build me, would you build a house for me to dwell in, question mark? This is God asking a question of David. This is God asking um, this this kind of, it's almost as though the Lord says, you you really want to do this? Remember David had said to the Lord, look, I've built myself a house and the Lord's, uh, he dwells in a tent and I, uh, and the Lord's like, huh, huh, I haven't really thought about this. Would you build me a house? Um, you know, and then he goes on to say, 
I, I've never lived in a house. This is the Lord speaking through the prophet to David. I, I've never dwelt in a house. You know, from all the time I've been with the covenant children, the covenant people, even to this day, I, I've never dwelt in a house. I've, I've, I've lived in a tent and in a tabernacle. And wherever I've moved, I, you know, I've never one time asked, never one time asked about uh, whether or not I should move into a house. I, I've never asked anyone to build me a house, and I've never spoken a single word, verse number seven, to anyone of any of the tribes of Israel, saying, you know, I need a house of cedar. I want you to see the Lord's response to David. I've never asked for this. I, this is, there, there's, such a, there's such truth here. God does not need what we have, but God gives us the opportunity to be a participant in what he is doing. Right. Right. Amen. Does that make sense? God does not need what you have. He gives you an opportunity to participate in what he is he is doing. And when David offers to build a house for the Lord, the Lord's first response is, I don't know if I need a house. I haven't thought about this. Let me think about this. You know, I've never one time talked about a house. I've I don't really get cold when it's cold, and I don't really get hot when it's hot, and I don't really have any problem getting wet when it rains, and the snow just does not bother me at all, and I don't know if I need a house, but let's consider this. It's in your heart to build a house for me. I want you to know that when God includes you, it's not because he can't do it without you, but it is because by including you, he becomes one with you. Whenever we give, it must be with an acknowledgement that I am placing what God has given me in his hand, not because he wouldn't have it anyway. He can have anything he wants because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I am expressing my heart to him and for him. Now, therefore, verse 8. Thus you must say to my servant David. Now this is what the Lord's telling the prophet to tell David. I took you from the sheepfold. I took you from being a shepherd and now you are a ruler over all the house of Israel. I've made you a great name. Not only that, I have made a place for your people. I have appointed them. I have planted them. Uh, they're not going to be nomadic anymore and wander around and neither shall the sons of wickedness oppress them in any regard. Since the time that I commanded judges to be over for Israel, uh, I, I, and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. I've been with you, the Lord says. I've, I've walked with you. I've kept you. I've blessed you. I've given you a place in the world. And now you want to build a house for me. And notice verse number 11. Uh, by the way, David, the Lord's going to build a house for you. Now, see, no one, no one just got that. I, 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 I'm going to have to restate that again. What is in the heart of King David? I want to build a house for the Lord. And what does the Lord say in response to this? I want to build a house for you. But David already has been given a house. David already has a house of cedar. 
David already has been exalted. David already has a place among the kingdoms of the earth. I want you to see this because this is understanding how God uses what we give to him to fulfill his kingdom and his heart. I want you to understand this. When David says, I'm going to build a house for you because I already have a house, the Lord responds, I'm going to build you another house. You have a house for your natural needs. I'm going to include you in a house for you that is about my kingdom. Now, the house that David is going to have given to him by God is not a house of cedar. It is a house of mercy. It's not a house with guards around it. It is a house of grace. It is through David that the Savior of the world is going to be born. And when Jesus walks those roads of Palestine and the needy cry out to him, they're going to say, Jesus, thou son of David. Do you see? what's happening here. God is interested in building his kingdom and because David wants to be a part of God's building team God says oh by the way I'm going to do it through you. This is what it means to have a heart for the house. When our desire is to serve God's kingdom and manifest God's heart and God suddenly finds somebody he can use to fulfill what he was always going to do anyway. Oh, praise God, somebody. I want you to be reminded God's going to do it anyway, but you have an opportunity to be a part of it. I want you to be reminded that God is going to do it anyway, but he's going to give me an opportunity to be a part of it. When we have a heart for God's house, it is though we say, God, I care about what you care about. And I, in some way, I don't even know how, I don't even know if you could use it. I don't even know, but I want to build you a house. And God says, I'm a better builder than you are. God says, I'll let you build for me if you'll let me build for you. Let me say that differently. If you will make God's kingdom your focus, he will make your needs his focus. Let me say that differently. If you'll make God's business your business, he'll make your business his business. God is looking for people who have a heart for his house. God is looking for people who have a heart for his kingdom. Why? Those are the people upon whom he can build his kingdom I want to I want to point something out about first church and I know it's a little bit odd for me to take a Sunday to preach about an offering I I have never that I can remember in the uh, 20 years I've been part of the pastoral team here at Charlotte I have I've never took a Sunday and preached on an offering that I can remember so I am doing it today so this is proof that an old dog can learn new tricks I want you to see that this church is a unique is a unique uh, gathering of people, and we uh, have been able, because of that, to open our hearts to the community around us in increasing ways. And if the Lord would help us, we are going to continue that focus and continue that that aim of our church. It would be easy for us to just come together and encourage one another. That's uh, that's a good thing. It's a biblical thing, and we do that. But if, if we uh, were to choose to do it, we could make that our main thing. But in 
Instead, we have chosen to open our hearts to the community around us. We have chosen to look for the needs that are around us, and we have been involved in a multi-year process of focusing the resources on of our church on the needs of the community around us. We have learned a lot. We have a lot to learn. We have begun the process of partnering with other uh, organizations, uh, nonprofit organizations that specialize in serving the needs of a community, and we begin the process of learning how we as a church can work uh, with them. We have, a, we have partnered with other organizations, whether or not it's uh, things like uh, giving away a Thanksgiving uh, needs, uh, care packet, and turkey to families, whether or not it's buying a, a washer and dryer for somebody in need, whether or not it's providing a, a mentoring ministry team for the children that uh, surround the church, whether or not it is partnering with a great organization like, say, Operation Christmas Child, whether or not it is reaching out to some of the uh, community homes around us. This morning, uh, we had, uh, I think, almost 10 uh, ladies from uh, one of the service houses. I don't know all the details. Angel of uh, It's, what is the name of it? Angel House. Angel House. It's right up here. They met us when we did our backpack giveaway, and they came through the line, and they met a lot of our leaders. Well, today they packed up a van of uh, their, their, the, 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 the ladies who are a part of that house, and they brought, and they brought 10 people and filled up a whole row here in the 9 a.m. service. It would be easy for them not to know we exist, and it would be easy for us not to know they exist, but we are the church that has built that bridge. Uh, this is the direction of our church. Um, uh, Pastor Don and I just returned from an outreach conference, and we heard almost a dozen pastors of the 100 fastest growing churches in America spend 30 minutes to tell their story and how they had breakout growth. And one theme that came out of every single one of them was this, find the pain in your city and run toward it. And when you get there, wrap your arms around hurting people and love them in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, if the fastest growing churches in America are churches that have successfully identified the pain in their cities and the pain in their community, and they have taken their spirit-filled people and ran to that pain like white blood cells in a body and there begin to love people and serve people. If they can do it, we can do it. This is the path that we have been on as a statement and a witness of our hearts. We are seeking this. We are longing for this. We don't have to stop having good church to do this. We can have better church than we've ever had. We don't have to stop having sound doctrine to do this. We can have sounder, louder doctrine than we've ever had. We don't have to give up any of the necessary functions of the church to minister to itself and encourage one another and bless one another. I will say this. If we will make God's business our business, he will bless us like we've never been blessed. The reason why this is possible is because First Church has become a strange collection of people who are uh, highly successful joining in a, a church that is very exposed to a needy portion of the city. We aren't in one of the rich areas of the city. We're not in the poorest, but uh, we certainly are not in a rich area of our city. And our church is unique in that we have highly educated, 
We have highly entrepreneurial. We have highly successful. We have business owners. We have business executives. We have uh, business professionals. And all of them have been added to the body of this church. And at the same time, we are exposed to the desperately needy. We are exposed to the desperately poor. We are exposed to the desperately broken. Now, uh, all the rules of church growth says this is impossible. They say wealthy people want to go to church with wealthy people. They don't want to be bothered with poor people. They just want to send money to somebody else who has compassion. This is the way of the flesh. They say churches are the last segregated societies of America and uh, white people want to go to white churches and uh, Hispanic people want to go to Hispanic churches and Asian people want to go to Asian churches and they don't want to cross pollinate cultures. And I say to them, well, you ought to visit First Church. I am very thankful for every one of you with your high education, and I say blessings upon you today in Jesus' name. I'm thankful for every one of you who are successful in a business, starting a business or working in a business. I I say bless you. Every one of you who drive from a very nice suburban area to East Charlotte to serve God here by the gates of the needy, I say bless you today. I say this. This is what home missions look like. I have been in the business, I've been in the process lately of uh, doing some uh, demographic studies of our area, uh, of the socioeconomic, the demographic. Uh, Do you realize that we are surrounded by two of the lowest income areas? We're also surrounded by two, the way the areas are laid out. We also have uh, one middle and we have two of the higher income areas that's all touching us right in this location because of the, the roads that come through right here. Uh, The Lord has uniquely placed us at a spiritual crossroads. It is a crossroads of income. We have very, very wealthy people in some directions. We have desperately poor people in other directions, but God has put us here. And some of you could have hidden in a church that uh, fit you in some specific way, be it ethnically or be it uh, in your socioeconomic placement, be it in your blessing, but you have chosen a church built by a river of need right here in East Charlotte. And I want to say thank God for every one of you who have could, could have stayed in a safe zone and you chose a church by a river of desperate need that flows right through East Charlotte. I say thank you for that today. As a church, we are orienting ourselves to take the heart of a Savior and manifest it to the endless needs that surround us in our community. Uh, We don't want to simply let testimony be our evangelism, although it always will be our evangelism. We don't want simply uh, doctrine to be our evangelism, although we will always hold strongly to uh, doctrine. We do not simply want these safe arenas where other Christians approve of us to be the statement of love we make to our world. We also want service to be part of our evangelism. And we want charity to be part of our evangelism. Uh, Service is the new evangelism. Amen. 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 Am
I say that on the backs of church studies that are being done right now. The millennial generation is unique in that they may not come to your church, but if you'll do something for somebody, they'll come volunteer at it. Yes. That's true. That's right. That is true. I want to say that again in case you were daydreaming. I just got back from a, this conference and this tons of data thrown at us and ton, tons of researchers talked to us. Uh, this society that we uh, we live in, it is it's it's such that the millennials they have a struggle with um, traditional, uh, shall we say, structures of, and they they struggle trusting them. And with the world as it is, you can hardly blame them for struggling to trust them. Uh, some of us older people struggle to trust them too. But these millennials, if you want one, one I talked to one of the um, uh, uh, multimedia uh, directors. He is the media, media pastor for one of the largest churches in America. Um, it is Miles McPherson's church in San Diego. My wife and I have actually been there to see their facilities and visit. Um, he is, I met this guy quite randomly just walking. And I asked him, I asked him we were sitting out front between events, and I, I said, teach me something. And he stood there for a minute kind of awkwardly, and uh, he said, okay, uh, well, this is what I learned. He said, when I do marketing to uh, nowadays, and I, I, the goal of the marketing is to get people excited about an event, I will get 100% more uh, feedback than I would if I hadn't promoted it. In other words, spend any money to promote it. It just been whatever your media numbers are, they would have been the same. Now, if I'll spend money to promote it, I'll double those numbers. He said, but if I will take that same event and I will invite people to be a part of a purpose or invite people to be a part of a movement or invite people to serve, make them a part of the mission. Don't try to get them excited about the mission. I have Learn that I will increase my feedback numbers by 600%. This is my point. Service has to be how we manifest the heart of a Savior to a community. In order to do that, we must have the ability to do that. And I've often wondered uh, why God has built a congregation like that, this, which is such a tremendous spread of people who, in many cases, are blessed and highly successful and highly educated and, and uh, highly entrepreneurial, and then placed us with others who uh, you might be the first person in your family who even. Uh, went to college or the first person in your family who even graduated from uh, high school say and you haven't had the same opportunities why would God put us together because a church like this can better show the heart of God than any church where everybody votes alike looks alike goes on the same vacations shops at the same stores, drive the same cars. This is what heaven will look like, my brothers and my sisters. I think I'll take a drink to that. <laughs> Propose a toast. <clears throat> David wants to do something for God. And God says, you want to build me a house? Uh, I'm going to build you a house. This is what I want you to take away from this. I don't have time to go through all of this. The notes I gave you actually have a good bit more on this than, than what I'm able to do today. Musicians, you can come. I want you to see this. When you have a heart for God's house, you are included in the house he is building. The house you built 
may not necessarily be the house he is building, but you become part and parcel of the house that he is building. This church is one lighthouse in a sea of need. We get that. God's work is much greater than us. God's kingdom is much broader than us. We are one lighthouse. We get that. But if we will build his house, he will include us in the house that he is building. And so I want to challenge all of you uh, this month. Next Sunday, we're actually going to have a commitment envelopes that you can fill out and you can turn in at uh, the service next Sunday. You'll be receiving a letter from me this week uh, in the mail that is just a letter expressing my heart on these in this regard. And I will go over some of the needs of the church in that letter. Um, as far as what the timeline is going to be. If you could give it this year, that's fine. If you need to, if you want to figure out what you can do and give next year, uh, say through the, the first quarter, that would be fine. Uh, all of this money is gonna be used for the direct needs of the church, facilities, debt service, and direct ministry. None of it is going to go to the pastoral staff. None of it is going to go to payroll. None of it is going to go to retirement plans. This all is direct ministry. But once a year, as a pastor, I have to stand before you and I have to say our church can make a difference. And I need to say we are doing something that matters. Yeah. Yeah. And, and God has put us together for a reason. Yeah. And God... God's plan is this. First, he wants to give it to you. And then whatever's in your heart to give him, he will use for the house that he is building here in East Charlotte. I have a dream someday of <clears throat> doing what some churches have done. I've been exposed to several churches that have built what they call dream centers. A dream center is simply a, a building that serves as a neighborhood ministry house. And they, they use these places for everything from free counseling to free some free medical care if they have medical volunteers. They use these buildings as pantries, food pantries. They use these buildings as assistance centers. They call them dream centers. I've often wondered why God, when we purchased this land, gave us an acre of ground on the corner over there. We have an acre of ground on that corner over there. It would be very easy for us to build a dream center right over there that could be open just like during the week where people could come and they could, they could have some uh, help. They could have uh, some things given to them. There could be a food pantry. There could be a, we probably could partner with other nonprofits. And, and, and I'm just telling you, It starts with a desire for his house. And if I were going to build God a house, what would it be? I'm not a very good builder. I've built a little bit, but not enough to matter. I'm not a very good builder. But the Lord is in the business of taking what I can give. And he builds a house. And God, oh, he can build like you wouldn't imagine. God builds better by accident than I build on purpose. <laughs> God can say, let there be, and everything that is springs into life. 
God can say, let there be, and the galaxy spin, spin out into orbit. God can say, let me ask you this. If God can do that with just speaking, what do you think he can do if he really tried? God knows how to build. And so I am going to, this year, ask you to have a heart for the kingdom of God. I don't want you to be impulsive. I'm not asking you to sacrifice your basic daily needs. I'm committing to you that we won't use this money from this offering for anything but the direct ministry and the direct needs of the church. It won't go to staff. And I am asking you to see if you have something in your life that you could give to God as building material. Because what David ultimately gives to God is building material. He says, I don't know how to build it, but God, I'm going to give you building material. And as you know the story, God's so moved that he says, David, I'm going to let your son build the house. This is an image of God, the eternal God, the Father, building a house of mercy through his son, Jesus Christ. Solomon builds. You see, there's images here in the scripture. And in this same house, Solomon prays and Solomon asks this question, Lord, will you abide with men? And what happens? Fire falls. That's the first temple. They can't even, they can't even minister. The 120 priests cannot even minister because the power is so thick. A few years later, a few hundred years later, a few generations later, on the day of Pentecost, the same thing's gonna happen. Fire's gonna fall. But it's not gonna be the house that Solomon built. It's gonna be the house that the Lord Jesus Christ built. We give him our hearts, and he uses that as building material. So before, as our ushers begin to serve you for us to take uh, communion together today, this is a communion Sunday, as they begin serving you, I I want you to take a moment and I want you to reflect on uh, what I have tried to share with you from my heart today. I also want you to take this as an opportunity to, to prepare your heart for partaking of the Lord's Supper together. And we will, in just a moment, we will, in just a moment, uh, partake of the Lord's Supper together. Hallelujah, hallelujah. At the age of 30, Florence Nightingale wrote in her diary, I am 30 years of age, the age at which Christ began his ministry. She wrote, no more childish things, no more vain things. Now, Lord, let me think only of thy will. Years later, she was asked at the end of her heroic life, she was asked what the secret of her life had been. And she said this, well, I can only give one explanation. And that is this, I have kept nothing back from God. I hope that is said in my life. I hope it is said that I kept nothing back from God. I know we all of us give God the, the material with which he builds his kingdom. And that is what it means to be a Christian. If you were to look to Greece as the land of the philosophers, it would say to you, be wise, know yourself. If you were to look to Rome as the land of of might and power, it would say to you, be strong, discipline yourself. 
Epicureanism would tell you to be sensual, enjoy yourself. Psychology would tell you to be confident, assert yourself. Materialism would tell you to be satisfied, please yourself. Pride would tell you to be superior, promote yourself. Humanism would tell you to be capable, believe in yourself. But Christ comes along and he asks you to be a Christian and he asks you to give of yourself. And the heart of Christianity, true Christianity, is demonstrated best in the gospel for God so loved the world that he gave. And we are never more like God than we give of ourselves. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would be aware of your goodness in our life. I pray that we would be mindful of your many blessings upon us. We are yours. We are your people. You have richly and abundantly blessed us. Let us see your heart and let us manifest it to the world in which we are placed. In Jesus' name we pray. Somebody say, in Jesus' name. First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four stars. By doing so, you will help others find it and also bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times and church ministries, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.